Section one of the Passenger from Calais. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Irie. The Passenger from Calais by Arthur Griffiths. Foreword. I desire to state that the initial fact upon which I have founded this story is within my own experience. I travelled from Calais to Basel by the Engadine Express in the latter end of July, 1902, when my wife and myself were the only passengers. The rest is pure fiction. A.G. Chapter 1. Colonel Ansley's Story The crossing from Dover to Calais had been rough, a drizzling rain fell all the time, and most of the passengers had remained below. Strange to say, they were few enough, as I saw on landing. It was a Sunday in late July, and there ought to have been a strong stream setting towards Central Europe. I hardly expected to find much room in the train, not that it mattered, for my place was booked through in the Lucerne sleeping-car of the Engadine Express. Room! When I reached the siding where this train de luxe was drawn up, I saw that I was not merely the first, but the only passenger. Five sleeping-cars and a dining-car attached, with the full staff, attendants, chef, waiters, all lay there waiting for me, and me alone. "'Not very busy,' I said with a laugh to the conductor. "'Parbleu!' replied the man, polyglot and cosmopolitan like most of his class, but a Frenchman, or more likely from his accent, a Swiss. I never saw the like before. I shall have a compartment myself, then. Monsieur may have the whole carriage, if he wishes, the whole five carriages, it is but to arrange. His eyes glistened at the prospect of something special in this obvious scarcity of coming tips. "'The train will run, I hope. I am anxious to get on.' "'But assuredly it will run. Even without monsieur it would run. The carriages are wanted at the other end for the return journey. Stay, what have we here?' We stood talking together on the platform, and at some little distance from the railway station, the road to which was clear and open all the way, so that I could see a little party of four approaching us, and distinguish them.' Two ladies, an official probably one of the guards, and a porter laden with light luggage. As they came up, I discreetly withdrew to my own compartment, the window of which was open, so that I could hear and see all that passed. "'Can we have places for Lucerne?' it was asked, in an eager, anxious, but very sweet voice, and in excellent French. "'Places?' echoed the conductor. "'Madame can have fifty. "'What did I tell madame?' put in the official who had escorted her. "'I don't want fifty, she replied, pettishly, crossly. "'Only two, a separate compartment for myself and maid. "'The child can come in with us.' "'Now for the first time I noticed that the maid was carrying a bundle in her arms, "'the nature of which was unmistakable.' The way in which she swung it to and fro rhythmically was that of a nurse and child. "'If madame prefers, the maid and infant can be accommodated apart,' suggested the obliging conductor. But this did not please her. "'No, no, no!' 
she answered with much asperity i wish them to be with me i have told you so already did you not hear parfaitement as madame pleases only as the train is not full very much the reverse indeed only one other passenger a gentleman no more the news affected her strangely and in two very different ways at first a look of satisfaction came into her face but it was quickly succeeded by one of nervous apprehension amounting to positive fear she turned to talk to her maid in english while the conductor busied himself in preparing the tickets what are we to do philpotts this was said to the maid in english what if it should be oh no never we can't turn back you must face it out now there is nothing to be afraid of not in that way i saw him the gentleman as we came up he's quite a gentleman a good-looking military-looking man not at all the other sort you know the sort i mean now while i accepted the compliment to myself i was greatly mystified by the allusion to the other sort of man you think we can go on that it's safe even in this empty train it would have been so different in a crowd we should have passed unobserved among a lot of people but then there would have been a lot of people to observe us some one perhaps who knew you some one who might send word i wish i knew who this passenger is it would make me much easier in my mind it might be possible perhaps to get him on our side if he is to go with us at least to get him to help to take care of our treasure until i can hand it over what a burden it is it's terribly on my mind i wonder how i could have done it the mere thought makes me shiver to turn thief me a common thief stealing is common enough and it don't matter greatly so long as you're not found out and you did it so cleverly too with such nerve not a soul could have equalled you at the business you might have been at it all your life said the maid with affectionate familiarity that of a humble performer paying tribute to a great artist in crime she was a decent respectable-looking body too this confederate whom i concluded was masquerading as maid the very opposite of the younger woman about her more directly a neatly dressed unassuming person short and squat in figure with a broad plain and to the casual observer honest face slow in movement and of no doubt sluggish temperament not likely to be moved or distressed by conscience neither at the doing or the memory of evil deeds now the conductor came up and civilly bowed them toward their carriage mine which they entered at the other end as i left it making for the restaurant not a little interested in what i had heard who and what could these two people be with whom i was so strangely and unexpectedly thrown the one was a lady i could hardly be mistaken in that it was proved in many ways voice air aspect all spoke of birth and breeding however much she might have fallen away from or forfeited her high station she might have taken to devious practices or been forced into them whatever the cause of her present decadence she could not have been always the thief she now confessed herself i had it from her own lips she had acknowledged it with some show of remorse there must surely have been some excuse for her some overmastering temptation some extreme pressure exercised irresistibly through her emotions her affections 
her fears what this fair creature a thief this beautiful woman so richly endowed by nature so outwardly worthy of admiration a despicable degraded character within it was hard to credit it as i still hesitated puzzled and bewildered still anxious to give her the benefit of the doubt she came to the door of the buffet where i was now seated at lunch and allowed me to survey her more curiously and more at leisure a daughter of the gods divinely tall and most divinely fair the height and slimness of her graceful figure enhanced by the tight-fitting tailor-made ulster that fell straight from collar to heel her head well poised a little thrown back with chin in the air and a proud defiant look in her undeniably handsome face fine eyes of darkest blue a well-chiselled nose with delicate sensitive nostrils a small mouth with firm closely compressed lips a wealth of glossy chestnut hair gathered into a knot under her tweed travelling cap as she faced me looking straight at me she conveyed the impression of a determined unyielding character a woman who would do much dare much who would go her own road if so resolved undismayed and undeterred by any difficulties that might beset her then to my surprise although i might have expected it she came and seated herself at a table close to my elbow she had told her companion that she wanted to know more about me that she would like to enlist me in her service questionable though it might be and here she was evidently about to make the attempt it was a little barefaced but i admit that i was amused by it and not at all unwilling to measure swords with her she was presumably an adventuress clever designing desirous of turning me round her finger but she was also a pretty woman i beg your pardon she began almost at once in english when the waiter had brought her a plate of soup and she was toying with the first spoonful speaking in a low constrained almost sullen voice as though it cost her very much to break through the convenances in thus addressing a stranger you will think it strange of me she went on but i am rather awkwardly situated in fact in a position of difficulty even of danger and i venture to appeal to you as a countryman an english officer how do you know that i asked quickly concluding that my light baggage had been subjected to scrutiny and wondering what subterfuge she would adopt to explain it it is easy to see that gentlemen of your cloth are as easily recognisable as if your names were printed on your back and as they are generally upon our travelling belongings i looked at her steadily with a light laugh and a crimson flush came on her face however hardened a character she had preserved the faculty of blushing readily and deeply the natural adjunct of a cream-like complexion let me introduce myself in full i said pitying her obvious confusion and i handed her my card which she took with a shamefaced air rather foreign to her general demeanour lieutenant colonel basil ansley mars and neptune club she read aloud what was your regiment the princess ulrica rifles but i left it on promotion i am unattached for the moment and waiting for re-employment your own master then practically until i am called upon to serve i hope to get a staff appointment 
Meanwhile, I am loafing about Europe. Do you go beyond Lucerne? Across the St. Gotthard, certainly, and as far as Como, perhaps beyond. And you, am I right in supposing that we are to be fellow travellers by the Engadine Express? I went on by way of saying something. To Lucerne or farther. Chapter 2 Probably. The answer was given with great hesitation. If I go by this train at all, that is to say. Have you any doubts? Why, yes. To tell you the truth, I dread the journey. I have been doing so ever since... since I felt it must be made. Now I find it ever so much worse than I expected. Why is that, if I may ask? You see, I am travelling alone. Practically alone, that is to say, with only my maid. And your child? I added rather casually, with no second thought and I was puzzled to understand why the chance phrase evoked another vivid blush. The child! Oh, yes, the child! And I was struck that she did not say my child, but laid a rather marked stress on the definite article. And that, of course, increases your responsibility, I hazarded, and she seized the suggestion. Quite so. You see how I am placed— the idea of going all that way in an empty train quite terrifies me. I don't see why it should. But just think, there will be no one in it, no one but ourselves, we two lone women and you single-handed. Suppose the five attendants and the others were to combine against us, they might rob and murder us. Oh, come, come, you must not let foolish fears get the better of your common sense— why should they want to make us their victims? I believe they are decent, respectable men, the employees of a great company carefully selected. At any rate, I am not worth robbing, are you? Have you any special reason for fearing thieves? Ladies are perhaps a little too reckless in carrying their valuables about with them. Your jewel-case may be exceptionally well lined. Oh, but it is not quite the contrary— she cried with almost hysterical alacrity. I have nothing to tempt them, and yet something dreadful might happen. I feel we are quite at their mercy. I don't. I tell you frankly that I think you are grossly exaggerating the situation. But if you feel like that, why not wait? Wait over for another train, I mean. I am free to confess that although my curiosity had been aroused— I would much rather have washed my hands of her and left her and her belongings, especially the more compromising part, the mysterious treasure, behind at Calais. "'Is there another train soon?' she inquired nervously. "'Assuredly, by Boulogne. It connects with the train from Victoria at 2.20, and the boat from Folkestone. You need only run as far as Boulogne with this Engadine train, and wait there till it starts, I think about 6 p.m. "'Will that not lose time?' "'Undoubtedly. You will be two hours later at Basel, and you may lose the connection with Lucerne and the St. Gotthard if you want to get on without delay. To Naples, I think you said.' "'I did not say Naples. You said you were going to Naples,' she replied stiffly. "'I did not mention my ultimate destination.' "'Perhaps not. I have dreamt it.' "'But I do not presume to inquire where you are going, and I myself am certainly not bound for Naples. "'But if I can be of no further use to you, I will make my bow. 
it is time for me to get back to the train and for my part i don't in the least want to lose the engadine express she got up too and walked out of the buffet by my side i shall go on at any rate as far as boulogne she volunteered without my asking the question and we got into our car together she entering her compartment and i mine i heard her door bang but i kept mine still open i smoked many cigarettes pondering over the curious episode and my new acquaintance how was i to class her a young man would have sworn she was perfectly straight that there could be no guile in this sweet-faced gentle well-mannered woman and i with my greater experience of life and the sex was much tempted to do the same it was against the grain to condemn her as all bad a depredator a woman with perverted moral sense who broke the law and did evil things but what else could i conclude from the words i had heard drop from her own lips strengthened and confirmed as they were by the incriminating language of her companion bother the woman and her dark blue eyes i wish i'd never come across her a fine thing truly to fall in love with a thief i hope to heaven she will really leave the train at boulogne we ought to be getting near there by now i had travelled the road often enough to know it by heart and i recognised our near approach only to realise that the train did not mean to stop i turned over the leaves of bradshaw and saw i had been mistaken the train skirted boulogne and never entered the station well that settles it for the present anyhow if she still wants to leave the train she must wait now until amiens that ought to suit her just as well but it would not at least she lost no time in expressing her disappointment at not being able to alight at boulogne we had hardly passed the place when her maids or companions square figure filled the open doorway of my compartment and in her strong deep voice she addressed a brief summons to me brusquely and peremptorily my lady wishes to speak to you and pray what does my lady want with me i replied carelessly using the expression as a title of rank she is not my lady but my lady my mistress and simply mrs blair the correction and information were vouchsafed with cold self-possession are you coming i don't really see why i should i said not too civilly why should i be at her beck and call if she had been in any trouble any serious trouble such as she anticipated when talking to me at the buffet and a prey to imaginary alarm since become real i should have been ready to serve her or any woman in distress but nothing of this could have happened in the short hours run so far i thought you were a gentleman was the scornful rejoinder a nice sort of gentleman indeed to sit there like a stock or a stone when a lady sends for you a lady there was enough sarcasm in my tone to bring a flush upon her impassive face a fiery gleam of anger in her stolid eyes and when i added a fine sort of lady i thought she would have struck me but she did no more than hiss an insolent gibe you call yourself an officer a colonel i call you a bounder a common cad be off i was goaded into crying angrily get away with you i want to have nothing more to say to you or your mistress i know what you are and what you have been doing and i prefer to wash my hands of you both you're not the kind of people i like to deal with or wish to know 
She stared at me, open-mouthed, her hands clenched, her eyes half out of her head. Her face had gone deadly white, and I thought she would have fallen there where she stood, a prey to impotent rage. Now came a sudden change of scene. The lady, Mrs. Blair, as I had just heard her called, appeared behind, her taller figure towering above the maids, her face in full view, vexed with varying acute emotions, rage, grief, and terror combined. End of section 1